Hey, find your sermon outline there in your bulletin. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Psalm 100. Psalm 100. You'll find that on page 937, please. In that book rack Bible. Maybe you have it on a tablet or a smartphone. Uh, but we love to hear pages turning. This is something about the book. Read the book. Bring your Bible. You know, you think about things you forget to bring to church. Sometimes we forget our Bible. Sometimes we forget our notes. Sometimes we forget our lesson plan. Sometimes we forget our offering. Sometimes we forget a neighbor or a friend. Did you invite anybody to church this week? Sometimes we forget. There's one thing you don't want to forget to bring to church, and that is your gratitude. We're in a little series called Grateful to the Core, Poetic insights into a thoroughly thoughtful life. We've been looking at the Psalms on four major issues regarding gratefulness. If gratefulness is going to go all the way to the core of our lives, then we need to make it our song. It's just the way we live our lives. We need to bring it to church. We're going to look at that, what that means this morning, Psalm 100. And then we need to put it to work We need gratitude to sort of lead the way on how we serve God and what we do for God. And then we need to use it to witness. Let it be the witness of our lives that we are grateful people and the impact that makes on others around us. So it's a great month to consider the attitude of gratitude. And uh, if you're fairly new with us, we love just teaching through Scripture. And today we're going to be in Psalm 100. It's a beautiful passage. Let's just read it out loud. Just follow along with me as I read the text. It's a short little section of scripture, but there's a lot here. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Isn't that a great psalm? Now most of us have read that psalm or we've heard that psalm. We even mentioned it last week in terms of what it means to give thanks, to enter into the Lord's presence with thanks. The first thing I want to point out in this psalm is that verses 1, 2, and 4 are invitations, and verses 3 and 5 provide the reason or the motivation to comply or to go along with the invitation. For example, look at verse 1, shout. Verse 2, come. And verse 4, enter. All those are invitations. God wants us to come. He wants us to shout. He wants us to enter in. And all of that is because of we know that the Lord is is God, verse 5. And we know that the Lord is good and that he's loving and he's faithful. So what we want to do this morning is really just kind of back out of that for a minute and sort of frame all of this into four things that are evident among God's people when they bring their thanks before God. Because this psalm is about bringing our thanks to God corporately, together as the body of Christ. We come communally this morning. We come as individuals, yes, but the reason why we're here is because we need the people around us today. And we need to do this thing called worship in the spirit of community, right? So look at the person next to you or around you and say, I need you here. Just say that. Would you do that? 
Now, hopefully that that's a genuine response because the reality is a lot of us come into church today sort of individual and we'd like to kind of maybe sit alone and so we chose a spot. We hope not, not too many people would get around us. But that went all south because we have a lot of people here today. And so we're here among people, but we kind of sometimes just want to be alone. And there's, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be alone. But what the psalmist is saying here, we believe it's David, what he's saying is that we come together, this is a procession, we come together as God's people, and the one thing we don't want to forget when we come together is our gratefulness, our thankfulness to God. Four things happen when people bring their thanks together as God's people, and I want to show them to you right here in this text. The first thing we see is that there's a zeal for the nations. Say that with me, a zeal for for the nations. The psalmist begins, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. We established last week that in the Psalms the words joy, praise, sing, shout, and others are linked to the general theme of gratitude. So here a shout of joy to the Lord is a means of gratitude. But the invitation is quite expansive. Did you notice? The invitation is to what? All the earth. So the psalmist ponders the reasons for which one would be motivated to come into God's presence in communal worship and to be sure to bring gratitude along because the obvious sense of inclusion is for the whole world to know this God. There's a zeal for the nations whenever God's people get together. Now for the student of scripture, one that has spent time meditating on the rich truths found in the Psalms, this inclusion of the nations or the world is no surprise. Often the writer David or Moses or Solomon or one of the other psalmists describe the fact that among the nations God will be praised. Let's just review some of these from scripture. We'll put them on the screen just to help because we're going to go through quite a few right here. Psalm 2, verses 8 and 9. Read out loud with me. Psalm 2, 8 and 9. Here we go. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Okay, what is this? This is God the Father speaking here in relation to his son Jesus. This is a messianic psalm. This is also repeated in Hebrews 5.5, and he's promising here, he's promising Jesus the nations of the world. That out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, there will be God's people. Isn't that amazing? You think about sometimes we're just so narrow, just... Us here in America and our Western view of Christianity, and we forget that all over the world, like Pastor Paul said a minute ago, there have been people worshiping this one true God that we worship here this morning, out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And and here, Jesus is, is seen as the one to whom all the nations will be given, and he will also judge the nations. Psalm 911, read this out loud with me, ready? Sing praises to the Lord, enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. Again, we see this often in the Psalms. Proclaim among the nations, reminding us that there's a need for the zeal for the nations. A missionary zeal. Do you have a missionary zeal today? Do you have a heart for the nations, a heart for the world? Or is it just your little world? 
So often in evangelicalism in America, we're just so tunnel-focused vision. And yes, there are lost people all around us, but the Bible always brings us back to the fact that God's message of truth and the gospel is for the whole world. Psalm 22, 27, and 28. Read it out loud with me. Here we go. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Again, one more, Psalm 46, 10. Here we go. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Here we see, once again, God proclaiming that he will be proclaimed. That there is, there is a, a picture here of, the, of God for the nations. And I just, I've been praying, I say, God, would you stir our hearts? And, and what would that look like in our lives if we had more of a zeal for the nations? And by the way, if we don't catch on a regular basis when we gather as God's people that this message of the gospel is for the whole world, then maybe, according to Psalm 100, maybe we're not bringing our gratitude to church. Maybe we're not really bringing our gratitude. Watch this. Because when we're really grateful to God, we know that we were blessed not as a focus point, but we were blessed to what? To be a blessing. And so God has brought great blessing to us here in the Western world with freedoms and resources. And what, what should we be doing with that? We should be supporting and reaching out to a world around us. That's why we have a fairly active missions ministry. I think of some of our individuals who are now serving. Think of little Hannah Alter who, who is down in Africa right now serving on mission. Just a young gal, young uh, high school, college age gal that is, is wanting to serve Jesus Christ. I think of my good friend Alan who I went to high school with and, and uh, the little odyssey of his life where he, he went uh, to, to Stanford and got an engineering degree and then got a master's degree and then got a great job at Lockheed and right here in the Bay Area and he had boats and cars and motorcycles and he, had the, he sort of had the American dream and one day he was sitting in church and the preacher came and was sharing uh, the message of the, of the word of God and the gospel to the nations and they introduced a, a missionary there, was a, a, an aviation missionary who talked about... Um, uh, his role down in Africa, and what, and this just grabbed Alan's heart. He's got little kids, he's got a full career, his life is set in motion, and God begins speaking to his heart. God says, I want you to do more than just put money in the offering. I want you to do more than just sort of pray prayers for the nations of the world. I want you involved in the nations. And God grabbed this young man's heart, and he went back, he, he went back to school, he got educated in, in uh, in, in biblical studies, he graduated with a, a degree in biblical studies. He got uh, his aviation pilot's license and went off, and, and you know, of course this is a long story, but went off and served in Africa for many years with mission aviation uh, ministries. And right now, right now, he's sitting in Amman, Jordan with his wife, Melody, and his little daughter, Katie. And you met him just a few months ago when they were coming through. And he's working over the whole Middle East with Reach Global, a, a missions branch of the uh, Evangelical Free Church. Uh, just a little story of a guy that was sitting in church one day and God spoke to his heart that he's more concerned for the nations. And, and Alan wanted to be a part of that. 
And now I'm not suggesting that when God speaks to our hearts that that necessarily means that we're going to be changing our careers and heading off to a, a missionary path somewhere around the world, but it just might. And sometimes we back off of that so much. I don't know who's listening here today, but God may be speaking to someone's heart, a young person, someone middle-aged, someone retired, that you could give the rest of your life for the nations of the world, a nation, a place that is desperately dark, needing tent maker missionaries to go in and serve and just live among people and bring the light of the gospel. You see, what we're trying to say here, what I believe this psalm is trying to say, when, when I mean the, a zeal for the nations, what I mean is that everyone needs Jesus. I want you to write that down and say it with me. Everyone needs Jesus. And if we don't have a, a total commitment to that, we will never have a zeal for the nations. We just won't. And by the way, if we don't have a zeal for the nations, we won't have a zeal for our neighborhood. You know, a lot of us sort of are so comfortable with our Christianity that it's just me and the Lord. We'll get to this more in just a minute. But we're so focused on ourselves that we forget that the, the God that we serve is a God that sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, not so that we could have a comfortable worship experience in the church, but so that his name would be glorified and the world would be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just wonder sometimes how serious I am about that. I've got all kinds of hobbies and things that keep me busy and I like my free time and I just protect so much of my life and sometimes I have to wonder, God, am I really committed to the nations? And I wonder as I pastor a church like this, Three Crosses, what a great church. I say, we, we just have the privilege of joining arms and hands with so many ministries around the world. I say, God, are we really serious about reaching the world for Jesus? And, and I just back off of that for a moment. I say, well, let me just see how serious I am about that when I consider how serious I am about my own neighbors, people that are around me that don't know Jesus, people that I know don't know Jesus, people that I go in and out of my street every week, and, and do I really stop and take time? Do I initiate contact? Do I reach out in love? And I'm asking this of me because I hope you're asking this of yourself too. And I hope we're doing something about that. The gospel is for all the world. The gospel is for the nations, but it's also for our neighbors. So, a zeal for the nations. Now, if we, if we don't bring our gratitude to church, if we don't bring our gratitude to church, you know what? The zeal for the nations just, it just goes out. Because gratitude says, God, we're undeserving. How could you have been so gracious to us? And then we see all that God has given to us as a leverage point that we might share the gospel with our neighbors and on into the world. Amen? So pray with me. Pray for me. I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God will turn our hearts and and it starts right where we live. Think of the neighbors that live around you. Think of the people that you work with. Think of the people in our community right here in this local community. How people need to hear the gospel. You know, there's people living right over here in these apartments every Sunday. And I have a feeling, I have a feeling most of us, without even knowing it, are sort of offensive to all of our neighbors. Because between... I don't know, 10 o'clock and 10.15 every Sunday morning and, and, and 12.30 to 12.50 to 1 o'clock every Sunday, those people can't go anywhere because of us. <laughs> I'm kind of laughing about that because just last week I met a couple 
who live over there, and they were in our service. I met his wife a couple weeks before that, and I met him, beautiful couple, uh, and they moved into those apartments. And I, I said my first thing to them, I said, let me just apologize right now <laughs> for making Sunday so hard on you guys. They said, well, you know, when we moved in, our apartment manager said, uh, this is a great place to live. It's really close to the freeway. It's got a lot of exits and entrances and all that stuff. The, the, the only problem I have to tell you right now is Sundays. <laughs> Sundays, that church up there on the hill has so many people that when they leave, you could just kind of forget about getting out of your driveway. And they said, that won't be any problem for, all, for us at all because we love Jesus and we just can't wait to go there. And so that was a blessing for them. But, <laughs> but remember, that's not a blessing for everybody over there. So, you know, just now think about this. Those people, what do they see from us? Do they just see everyone getting out of the church? They're trying to get out. Hey, we're in line. We're, trying, we're, we're hungry. You know, it's just crazy. I, I don't know, I'm taking too much time on this. I'm just saying, do we care about the people around us? Uh, do people have faces and stories in their lives and things that they're holding on to? Are we grateful to the gospel? Or, or are we just, we just feel like it, God owes us this, you know, because we're, we're so great. <laughs> That's sometimes the attitude that we project, sort of a, an attitude of, of entitlement. But no, we bring our gratitude we say, shout to joy to the Lord, all the earth, because the gospel is for everybody. That's what we mean, everybody needs Jesus. Here's another thing that you see in the church where people don't forget to bring their gratitude. You see not only an, a, a zeal for the nations, but you see an exalted view of God. Say that with me. An exalted view of God. I, I love this. Look at verse 2. It says, it says, worship the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful songs, Know that the Lord is God. Literally, Yahweh is God. In verse 3, the word know there is the, in, in the imperative. In other words, confess this, declare this, make this known that God is the Lord. Remember we looked at the word praise last week, todah, the word that means to agree with God, to agree with who he is. And when we come and praise, when we worship the Lord with gladness, when we come before him with joyful songs, we are agreeing with the Lord that he is the Lord and there is no other. Like Psalm 96, 4 and 5 says, For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. We saw last week, Psalm 35, 10, my whole being will exclaim, who is like the Lord? In Psalm 71, 19, we looked at last week, your righteousness reaches to the skies, O God. You have done great things. Who, O God, is like you? Psalm 83, 18, let, us, let them know that you, whose name is the Lord, that you alone are the most high over all the earth. Psalm 86, 9, among the gods there is none like you, O Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. You alone are God. This is what's evident among the people of God when they come with their gratitude to church. They know that God is and there is no other. Is that you this morning? Did you bring your gratitude? Because you know that he is the only one. This is what we mean by this. God is our one and only. 
God is our one and only. There's no one else. He's it. We love him. We worship him. We serve him. We lay our lives down for him. We sacrifice for him. We go through hard times because we know he is great and there is none other like him. What happens when God's people gather with a spirit of joy in their hearts realizing that there is, that there is no other God? That he is the exalted God? Well, first of all, and these are not in your notes, so you just jot these down as you feel led. First of all, I would see vibrant and joyful worship. That there would be joy in our hearts. There would be smiles on our faces when we were singing to the Lord. Because we know we have found the jackpot, so to speak. God has revealed to us what we could never have found on our own. It is the sweetest of the sweet spots. It is the place where we know that we have peace and joy and fulfillment. We would also see in the same spirit, not just a vibrant, joyful worship, but a holy reverence for God. A sense that because God is God and I am not, I can bow and submit to Him. I can yield my life to Him. When things are not going the way I'd like them to go, I can still follow Him. I'm not going to leave Him because I'm a fair-weather follower. There's a lot of us who name Jesus until the going gets tough and then we're out of church. We're out of God's people. We just don't want to be around. Another thing we would notice among ourselves would be holiness in our lifestyles, that we would be drawing closer to the Lord who is desiring to make us holy, like Hebrews 12, 14 says. Pursue holiness. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Uh, we would see generous sacrifices to advance God's work. We would see uh, a spirit of, of love toward others. We'd see all kinds of stuff when we believe that God alone is exalted. And so maybe just as you think about your life this morning, you think about, are those things part of my preparation in coming today, that I'm coming to exalt the one true God, and He's my one and only, and that would bring me to vibrant, joyful worship, reverence toward God, holiness in my lifestyle, a sacrifice for His work? That's really awesome. A zeal for the nations, an exalted view of God. That's what happens when we bring our gratefulness to church. We see God, the God of the nations, and we see, we see an exalted view of who he is. A third thing that we see from this psalm, Psalm 100, is that we not only see a zeal for the nations and exalted view of God when we bring our thanks to church, but we see a deep sense of belonging. A deep sense of belonging. Say that with me. A deep sense of belonging. Look at verse 3. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Now let me just cut to the chase right here and say what this means. What this means is we are his. We are his. We belong to him. Throughout the Old Testament, God made it clear to his people that they were in covenant relationship with him. And God is very jealous for his people. And that's why God doesn't let us run so far that we get out of the bounds. Sometimes God even sends discipline and judgment on our lives. Discipline, we call that in the New Testament under the covenant of grace. God would send discipline to our lives. In the Old Testament, he'd send judgment on his people because he was jealous for his people. Not to get away, not to get so far out. Because he's a shepherd, he's going to come after them. And like Deuteronomy 32.6 says, he made them and formed them. And like Isaiah 40 says, he's like a shepherd who carries his lambs in his arms. He gently leads those with young. 
Ezekiel 34 is a beautiful picture of God's covenant relationship with his people. If you have your Old Testament with you, if you have your Bible with you, I'd ask you to turn there just quickly, Ezekiel 34, and maybe not an easy place to find. It's okay to use a table of contents if you need to, or find someone next to you there that might find their way to Ezekiel. Uh, if you're in the Psalms, go right. Uh, Ezekiel 34, and here's a picture of God's shepherding among his people, and I just key in on a couple of places Verses 15 and 16, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. Oh, by the way, this is all in a polemic against the shepherds of Israel, people that were supposed to be taking care of God's flock. And God says in verse 16, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. Look down to verses 23 and 24. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David. Who's that? That's Ultimately, Jesus, who is the great shepherd, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I will be, I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be prince among them. The Lord has spoken. Look down to verse 30. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, our people, I, and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. This is a beautiful picture of how God looks at us as his sheep. Ever see a shepherd with only one sheep? <laughs> no. <laughs> not, a, not a trick question. Shepherds, shepherd, sheep, plural. Now, he may go off and find the lost one, but he shepherds all of them. He shepherds a bunch of those little critters because he's a shepherd. Now, we are so into personal and individual things. The modern moniker of our narcissistic tendencies today is what we know now as the what? The selfie. Everybody's into selfies, right? It just, the media just blows up with everybody's face of themselves or themselves doing something. We are, we are it's just a picture of how much we are enamored by our own selves. And so much so that we become, even in our Christian lives, we become so individualistic that we, we even talk in language like that as Christ followers. We say, we even say, we hear our pastors say, you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And some of us key so much in on that. And, and really there's, there's kind of a misnomer when we talk about a personal relationship with God. Because of course it's personal. But God never invites us into relationship apart from being in community. And this is something that we have lost, really been damaged in the evangelical world. We are so into our personal, individual relationship with Christ that we no longer see ourselves as connected in any sort of community or any necessary community. And yet here it is, God says that we are the sheep of his pasture. We are his sheep. We are a community of God's people. We are his community people. We're not alone. We're not isolated. And I meet people all the time who have disenfranchised themselves from the church. And they feel completely fine with that. I love God. I read my Bible. I just can't stand church. Now there's, you know, I'm a pastor and I say, hey, I understand what you're talking about sometimes. I know that the church sometimes is a, is a hard thing to be a part of. Because guess what? There are people in the church. Last time I looked, there's people in the church. 
I used to know a pastor who said, I love the ministry. It's people I can't stand. And people all the time. And, that, and that's what we laugh at that. But that's, some of us have felt that we know that. I am the reason sometimes why someone doesn't want to come to church. I, I'm being honest with you. They don't like how I've done some decision I've made, something in leadership, and they say, I'm out of there. And I've talked to people enough over the years to know that sometimes people say, I, I love God, I read my Bible, I just don't need the church anymore. And I say, would you show me that in Scripture? Because you won't find it anywhere in Scripture. God didn't intend for you to live a solo life. You're in sin if you live a solo life as a Christian when you could be in community. Now I know there's people in some parts of the world that it's really hard to be in community. Places where it's illegal, you could lose your head literally for being in community with God's people. And yet even in those places, I know people meet. They meet under duress. They meet under recognizing that it could be their last meeting because they could literally lose their lives. I know people who are incarcerated, who are alone, that have come to know Christ, who don't have community like we experience community. But I'm so grateful that when the earnest heart seeks for a way for there to be community, God has a beautiful, mysterious, and sometimes miraculous way of providing community for people. And even to the point of Matthew 18, not to get too far out of context, but where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. People that are sick, people that are cancer-stricken, people that don't have the community that we have. And so many of us have taken this for granted. And we just trivialize it. We don't prioritize our schedule around being together with God's people. It's light if it works out, if it's comfortable. Here's the statistic. The statistics say, and I know statistics are horrible and, and can be very skewed, but it bears out in our own ministry uh, most of us are here only 50% of the time or less. 50%. So, and I know you say, well, hey, I work, I travel, great. But I know a lot of us, just it's just all preference. Oh, there's a neat game playing or there's something I'm doing. I would love, man, I would love to go do. We don't prioritize around being with God's people. And I just come back to Psalm uh, 100 here. He who has made us and we are his and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And all through the Bible says God's sheep need to get together. God's sheep need to be together. We live in community. We serve in community. We love in community. And it's this community that the world out there knows nothing about. They know clubs. They know Rotary. They know Kiwanis. They know civic organizations. They know PTA. They know all that kind of stuff. They don't know this. They don't know what real community is where we love each other. We cry with each other. Sometimes we fight with each other, but we always come back and we hug each other. We say, I'm sorry. We ask for forgiveness. We, we churn. We, we burn. We, we go through trials. Oh, I get kind of worked up about this stuff. <laughs> I talk to people all the time say, I just stay home and watch my TV pastor. And all, I could mention some names right there, don't need to. In fact, most ma names I hear mentioned, I just want to go, ah, you know, because it's not, it's not, sometimes it's not even biblical instruction that people are listening to. And that's probably why they feel so comfortable just watching it on their TV or listening on a podcast. I don't need God's people. I don't need the church. And by the way, some of us have been injured in the church. People have done dumb stuff. Pastors have done dumb stuff. I've done dumb stuff. I know all that stuff is true. I'm a person. And all of us are persons. But we're committed to this thing called community because God says, you are the sheep of my pasture. 
And a sheep needs, a sheep needs shepherds, and Jesus is our shepherd. Listen, if you're ever disappointed with me or one of our pastors, okay, look at the chief shepherd, because you'll never be disappointed in him. And what he says is, what he says, he says, you got to stay in the fold. you got to stay with, with my people. Oh, my goodness. I've got seven seconds left. All right, so <laughs> what we mean by this is that we are, we are his. We are his. And when we bring our gratitude, we get a zeal for the nations. We get an exalted view of God. We get a deep sense of belonging. And by the way, there's some of us here today who are just yearning, yearning for that sense of belonging. Oh my goodness, listen, you don't have to yearn any longer. You can find it in Jesus. You can find it in this place. You can find it in a small group, in a, in a community group. You can find it right here. There's levels of community. But so often we just blow all this off. When we bring our gratitude to church, what evidence is that gratitude is a sense of real community. Number four, affirm confidence in God. Say that with me. Affirm confidence in God. Look at verse 5. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. What's cool about this verse is that not only do we belong to God, here's what we mean by this, watch this. Not only are we his, but he is ours. Ah, that is amazing. You have the God of the universe living inside of you. You have the God who, who spoke the universe into existence, who can speak the word of encouragement into your own heart. You have that God. You have the God who is full of loving kindness. When God appeared to Moses, remember, in that beautiful place in Exodus 34, in the cleft of the rock, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's our God. That's our God. That's why we have a firm confidence in him. Even though life is terrible, dark, sad, hurtful, we know that God is good, loving, and always faithful. Always faithful. Always faithful. What happens when, God brings, when God's people bring their gratefulness to church? They get a firm confidence that God is who he says he is. So we storm the gates of God with prayer, and we go out with great desire to do things that can only be done through faith. And that we rejoice with those that rejoice and we weep with those that weep. And we know that when the world is shaking around us and all, everything is breaking loose, we can say, God, you are worth our praise because you're in control and you are good and faithful and your love endures forever. I don't know of anything better than that. I just don't. I can't find that anywhere in culture. I can't find that anywhere in society. I don't see it on the news. I don't watch, see it on any program. I don't get it through human relationships. I only get it through one source, and that is the God of this universe who gave me his son, Jesus, who died on the cross and rose again from the grave and offers to anyone who leaves their life of sin and flees to him may have it freely and abundantly forever and ever and ever and ever. That's what happens when we bring our gratitude to church. A zeal for the nations, an exalted view of God, a deep sense of belonging, and a firm confidence in all of who he is. Well, did you bring your gratitude today? Let's pray. Lord, 
Thank you, Lord, for how amazing your word is, Lord. And I just pray right now, Lord, that if you brought someone to this service this morning, Lord, that, that is just yearning to belong, knows that their life is desperately lost, a slave of sin, in the truest parts of their heart, they know they're a rebel to God. But Lord, your mercy has poured over their hearts today and how they long to be one of your sheep. And if that's you, if there's anyone here this morning that senses the Spirit of God saying, that's you the pastor's talking about. Right where you are, open your heart right now and receive the gift of life through Jesus Christ. Confess that as a sinner and as a rebel against God, you must come to the cross and give him your life and there find peace and fulfillment and a new life. If that's you, right where you are, God will hear your prayer And yes, it is individual. You come by yourself, but the moment you do, you belong to every other Christ follower that has ever lived and lives now. We are a part of the great family of God. So Lord, prepare us, help us, help us move in community like we never have before. We give you praise and thanksgiving. May we worship you now, Lord. May our response to you now, Lord, be sweet to you. You know, Lord, what needs to happen in our hearts. You know the changes that need to take place. So do your work, Holy Spirit. I'm going to invite all of us to stand, please. Stand with me right now.